Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brenning and Jack McEnroe. They'll be taking your calls and speaking with a different guest each week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347 215 9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining, joined this evening by my co host, Jack McEnroth. Jack, how are you? Happy Sunday. I'm good. Happy Sunday to you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I had a little bit of issue trying to bring you online when you first called, but I got you now. Okay. Yeah, it's an okay connection here, but um, so if you have trouble, just let me know and I'll call back in. Yeah, you're fading in and out a little bit, but you seem to be pretty strong for the most part. So how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Um, the A's lock was last weekend, and that was really good Sunday. Um, I actually sat up on, they had the opening ceremony sort of thing. They had like a VIP reception and, um, I met a bunch of the cast of Modern Family. So that was really, they were hilarious. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, when was that on Sunday, yesterday? Uh, no, week from yesterday. Oh, okay. So, um, unfortunately it was kind of crappy weather here, so... I don't think it really affects the amount of money made because people have their donations and they mail them in anyways. It's just like a lot of people don't go if it's really rainy. But, um, but yeah, it was really Like when fun you came to Philly? Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I like to bring the bad weather with me wherever I go. The rapture, well, I'm glad we're still here. Nobody died. Nobody was ascended into heaven. I know. The rapture on Saturday. <laughs> I know. A couple of people I know went, but, you know. <laughs> it was funny. I posted this photo um, of a rainbow that I saw, um, you know, in the sky that day, and I posted it on Facebook, and it said, and I posted, God's taking the gaze up first. <laughs> you know, even one of somebody commented underneath it that they wanted us to go up there. They're taking the gaze first to decorate for everyone. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. So, I can't hear you. You're kind of fading out. Okay, call back in. Okay. So while Jack's calling back in, I want to thank everybody for tuning in who may be listening for the first time. Tonight's guest is Vicki Lynch. She'll be calling in a little bit during uh, later during the show. And um, this is Pause I Am Radio, and we're here every Sunday, and we offer those living with HIV and AIDS hope by giving them a place to share openly, ask questions, and, and just be themselves. And um, we are connected to a social network that you can find at uh, pauseim.com, and you can uh, join there and meet other people. And what we do is we have the radio show basically to, to let others know that their voice is not forgotten and there's somewhere that they can, you know, voice their opinions and, and share their stories and, and find others. Jack, are you back with me? Yep. Can you hear me better? Oh, yeah, you're so much better now. Okay, good. I felt like that commercial. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Because AT and T, because like I do the show basically from the same, well, I always do from my apartment, and like my reception is always good, and then sometimes it just sucks. <laughs> like, all right, whatever. But um, I was I was saying that uh, uh, relating to the rapture, I guess people posted pictures of their Facebook picture where it's just their clothes sitting on their computer, yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> It was so. hilarious. I saw this one guy. Uh, it had to be in New York, Jack, up where you are. It had to be. Um, 
this guy was dressed as Jesus, and he had this sign, and he goes, false alarm, my bad. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, It's like everybody wants the world to end for some reason. But let's see. So um, uh, one of the things I I did want to talk about, um, for those that are members of Pause I Am, um, we do have a new blog topic uh, this uh, month. It's going to probably go into next month as well, and it's starting meds. So um, everybody is there sharing their personal stories of what it's like when they were starting meds, depending on, you know, how long they've been living with HIV, obviously, the stories are going to be different, um, but it's nice to, you know, read other people's stories of how they dealt with and what they feared and to let you know that after, you know, they start meds, they're, they're able to overcome all those fears that they had in the beginning, you know, because a lot of people think that when they start taking meds, that's kind of down, like that's the end of, you know, living, like that's the first step of turning over um, and, and, and dying, and that's not the case, and a lot of people share their stories, so um, you can check those out. They're actually posted there now. Were you afraid to start meds, Jack? No. Um, but you have to remember, uh, like our guest today, I was diagnosed so long ago, so I just wanted something. I mean, I come from a very medical family. My dad was a doctor and my mom was a nurse, so it was always like, oh, you have this, take a pill. So I wanted, it made me actually feel empowered to be able to take meds, um, like I was doing something. So at the time, people were sort of like, well, there's nothing you can do. You're just going to die. You don't know how long it's going to take. So as soon as right. they said, this might work, I was like, okay, give it to me. <laughs> give me some of that. Yeah, I remember I was really scared for a long time. I, I always thought that was like the turning point. It meant that I was getting worse. Um, I didn't realize, but I also wasn't educated on how well the medicine has advanced right. you know, from, from back in the day because it wasn't something that I thought about because – I didn't need meds. My counts were good, my doctor said. So I didn't really investigate it and, and, you know, get educated on the subject. And little did I know that I was helping my body fight the virus. So, you know, it's great to be undetectable now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think actually the protocol now is getting, I don't think it's across the board and people still have a differing opinions. But most people that I know now that are, you know, diagnosed HIV positive start meds immediately. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a more common practice. It's like they, I think they found that sort of, you know, once you have done damage to your immune system and your T-cell counts go to a certain level, it's just much more difficult to bring them back up unless you have some major abrasion taking bends. So, hmm. so yeah. I was touching it. I was totally petrified when I started, and 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 now I'm petrified of forgetting because I find myself forgetting to take my meds. Um, I, I've been taking them in the morning, and since I've been forgetting so much, I told the doctor, he, he goes, well, why don't you take it at dinner? That's the one meal, because I have to take it with food. He goes, that's the one meal that you have usually every day. You know, you may right. skip lunch, you may skip breakfast, but you always have dinner, usually. So I started right. doing that, and I haven't forgotten yet, but it's, you know, actually, I did forget. I forgot Friday because um, it was my birthday. I was so doing everything, I forgot. Happy birthday! <laughs> yeah, the, the big three, too. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I mean, I've taken meds for so long that I never forget. But even if you do, I mean, check with your uh, whatever meds you take. I can't really remember. I think you take uh-huh. Ephedrus, right? Yeah. Intravada or whatever. Um, right. Most of them, like, stay in your system for 48 hours, and I don't know what the what they're supposed to do if you skip a dose or miss a dose, or you should, like, take it as soon as possible or just take it, go back into your normal schedule, or I don't really... Well, what I've been doing, I just skip a dose. I just basically act like I skip it. Like, on Friday night, I remembered at midnight that I forgot my meds. And I was like, oh, well... Like, now I'll just wait till the next day. Yeah, or you can take them in the morning, like, whatever, whenever you remember. I mean, right. most of that stuff stays in your system for a while, so it's not like, oh, my God, I mean, I need to freak out over it. <laughs> I actually have, I have, like, so many little things to remind me 
to take my meds. Like Joe just got me this thing that goes on top of like your med bottle that has a timer. So you take right. your meds and you click the you click the button and it resets itself for 24 hours. So then in 24 okay, hours that automatically go off. Is an alarm on your phone? I do have an alarm on my phone, but yeah, I just I don't know. I just don't think it, it would remind me because sometimes my phone isn't on. Sometimes it's charging. You know, sometimes it's doing oh. this, sometimes it's doing... It's never, you know... I can't guarantee it'll be on at 12 o'clock if I'm not using it. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I need to keep remembering this, so I think... So what did you get for your birthday? Um, for my birthday, uh, we we went out to dinner. We had a really, really nice dinner at um, a restaurant called Seasons 52. Uh, we went uh, there, and my my friend Tracy works there, so she waited on us, and we you know, we had a nice dinner, and, and it was it was a good time. Cool. Yeah, it was cool. We spent all last week actually painting the house, our living room. We uh, you know repainted the whole entire house because it needed to be repainted. Now that we don't smoke you know in the house anymore, we wanted to refresh it all you know and give it like a whole new because when you right, smoke in the right, house, right. you get all the cigarette smoke and everything's yellowed, and yeah, so we just painted everything and. It was just nice, kind of like a like a refresh, you know. Cool. Yeah, it works. So how's the place in Miami coming? Uh, it's the exact same since I saw it last. I need to go down there with my brother and work out it, and he just doesn't have the time right now. So, and plus it's like 975 degrees in Florida, so we'll probably just wait till you know August, September. I mean. No hurry. I don't want to go down there until, like, October anyway, so it's fine. Right. I just Somebody just posted me in a question and said, did you hear about the new HIV drug or something? Nope. I, approved, uh, I don't know anything about that. No, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I told people to send me some, uh, some, an article about uh, vaccination. But it was really short and just said that it, the vaccination may. What well, you're you're breaking up? Oh, uh, well, I don't know what to do because. No, no, you're you're know. fine if you. It sounded like you were moving. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and let me try. Uh, let me try that. All right. I'm not sure exactly. Are you there, Jack? Yeah. Okay, I thought I lost you. So um, one of the things I did want to talk about coming up is the uh, the ADAP Summit that uh, ADAP Advocacy Association puts on every July. Um, and it's from, I believe, it's from July 5th to the 7th. So it's the 5th, 6th, and 7th. I think it's like a, a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, or Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, and it's an event that goes down there, brings awareness to the ADAPT waiting list. Um, and it's actually uh, the largest amount of people who are on the ADAPT waiting list are in Florida, which is fr- where the state our guest is from. And she's, you know, involved in some stuff down there with ADAPT. So we can definitely talk to her when she calls in. I gave her a little bit of a, a span to call in. I told her she can call in a quarter after. She got in a little bit late, so I wanted her to get some food in her stomach uh, before she called in. So um, she'll be calling in shortly. But um, that summit's coming up in July, and you can find information on that at adaptadvocacyassociation.org. And they're actually giving away some ADAPT awards this year uh, to people who are, you know, um, activists in the field of ADAPT. So that'll be interesting. I'm actually one of the people who will be judging or, or you know, giving the awards out, like one of the board cool. members. So that's kind of interesting, and I'm excited about that because there's a lot of great things that, you know, people have been doing around ADAPT, and obviously not enough because there's still a list, but there's a lot of great people who put themselves out there like Dab and, and Brandon. So they, everybody, like, needs, you know, a little, you're doing a good job sometimes. It, it makes a big difference. Of course. I think it's, you know, important to give back. So I'm waiting for her to call in. I don't see her. Um, well, why don't you speak a, a little bit about her? I'm sorry, say that again? Um, tell, let's tell our listeners a little bit about her. Yeah, uh, Vicki Lynn is a 26-year uh, HIV survivor. 
She was infected in October of 1985 by her then-fiancé. She was diagnosed with AIDS in 1991 and is blessed to have survived the worst times of this pandemic. She has served on the Ryan White Care Council. She helped establish the Sisters in Spirit, which is um, a support group that she established down in Florida for women living with HIV in her community. And she has served on several... Um, volunteered at several HIV service organizations, or ASOs. She currently works at the University of South Florida on a research grant that examines behavioral health interventions for women living with HIV. She earned both her master's in social work and master's in public health at USF. Uh, Vicki also serves on the HIV AIDS Consumer Advisor Group for the state of Florida, and she has contributed to online blogs, educational sites, and is passionate about working on issues related to HIV prevention, human rights, and access to healthcare. She actually is a member of POS-IM, uh, so some of you may have uh, known her or have met her on there. And she will be joining us shortly. Uh, this is Vicki's first time calling in, so I'm going to assume maybe this may be her um, or not, so I'm going to just try. Hi, is this Vicki? Hello? Okay, I'm going to say that's not Vicki. So Vicki will be calling us shortly. Um, so what else is new, Jack? Anything exciting? Is that a no? All right, I lost Jack too. So while I wait for Jack to call back in, I'll take a listen to this uh, PSA we got here. I contracted a preventable disease from a guy that looks good and smells good but never mentioned that he had HIV. But he is not to blame. I should have loved myself enough to protect myself. But through it all, I found self-love and it's the greatest thing I ever felt. I was never less than or equal to AIDS but always greater. I just realized that not caring for myself or my body, I was my biggest hater. I am author of the Naked Truth, Marvelyn Brown, and I am greater than AIDS. And you can find more information on Greater Than AIDS at greaterthan.org and more information on um, our friend Marvelyn Brown at marvelynbrown.org. Jack, are you with me? Yeah. All right, I got you. And our lovely Vicki Lynn is on the line as well. Vicki Lynn, welcome to the show. Hi, Robert. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm good. I tried to call it a few times and it was busy, so I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> people are calling in already. Yeah, I have a couple people on the line. So, 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 how are you doing? How are you this evening? I'm doing really good. I'm excited to be a part of the show. You've had a lot of great guests, and I'm honored to be asked to be one of those guests. Well, we're honored to have you. Um, yeah, I was just drawn to you. Um, it was funny because uh, we, Jack, we actually met um, at the ADAP Advocacy Association. I think before I even realized, Vicky, that you were on Pause I Am. Yeah, yes. We actually it was did even meet before up. that. It was so almost, weird. Yeah. Oh, it's just about a year, almost a year ago that we met. Yeah. And it's kind of cool because you're one of those people that I see at all the different conferences. So it makes me, you know, it's, it's like one of those smiling faces. Like it's like a familiar face you see everywhere, like your family, you know? <laughs> Great. <laughs> so um, that's awesome. So, so. So thanks for, for joining us, and we're excited to have you here with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what it was like for you when, when you were diagnosed. What was, you know, your life like? Oh, wow. When um, when I was diagnosed, I was working for a stock brokerage firm. I had my heart set on becoming a stock broker, making a lot of money, having a family, and just living the American dream. And I had been working there couple months and I think my insurance kicked in and went to the doctors and, you know, decided, oh, test me for everything. And I was, you know, having some female issues and stuff, so they tested me for everything. And this was back in 1991. Was it 89? Gosh, I can't even remember the year I was tested. I remember I was infected in 1985. So it was either 89, 90, 91 when I actually found out um, because after that it was quite a blur. I I remember they called me back to the, it was um, the doctor's office two weeks after the test and they, you know, sat me in this little room and told me that I was HIV positive and that I had three years to live. 
because back then we knew very little about the disease and yeah, I was scared to death. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know anybody else like me. I felt like I was the only woman in the world that had it. Um, every time you turned on the news, you heard of the horrors of the disease. So it was quite scary. And I actually still tried to continue working at the stockbroker's firm and had made this conscious decision that if I was going to die in three years, I was going to go out with a bang. And that's what I did. I decided to start partying. I met this guy, and he accepted me and my HIV, and we went on this huge partying spree, drinking all the time, doing all kinds of other things without a care in the world because I thought I was dying, so who cared? I didn't care. Um, And I guess about three years went by, and, you know, my health started getting worse, and... The relationship with the guy wasn't going going so well because a lot of the money we had was being spent on the partying. So, you know, like the electricity would be turned off, the rent wasn't getting paid, and, you know, things weren't going so well because the type of partying we were doing was very right. expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, and I ended up quitting my job. I um, blamed it on the HIV. I was, you know, too sick to work because of the HIV, but it really wasn't the HIV at all. It was the drugs I was doing, you know. The drugs were slowly deteriorating my health, and that was making me sick and unable to work. Um, I ended up, I left the job, lost my COBRA health insurance, um, you know, after you had a certain amount of time that you're allowed to keep it. I made those monthly payments, but then ended up losing that. Tried to get um, on government help. But at the time, there really were very few safety nets set up, especially for women. There was no age definition for women. I mean, there were certain opportunic infections that men were getting, but women weren't getting those same opportunic infections, so there was really no definition. And I can remember going to agency after agency and saying, you don't qualify for help. You know, we can't help you here. You're either living with someone that makes too much money or... This, I mean, it was just, I was at a loss and didn't know what to do. I ended up losing my apartment and ended up homeless on the streets. Um, My my family at the time, I mean, I was very open right from the get-go and told them, but they were all afraid of the, well, they weren't afraid of me, they were afraid of the disease. My mother wouldn't kiss me anymore. She wouldn't hug me. Every time I went to her house, she'd wash everything in bleach. I mean, the fear that people had, I I can remember friends telling me, I can't be your friend because I can't watch you die, you know, so it it was just, you know, and I watched a lot of my friends die, but then I ended up homeless on the streets. I think it's such a scary part of my life because my T-cells got down below 50, I wasn't getting any medical care at all, I didn't know where to turn who to help me. My caseworker at the time really didn't know what she was doing, unfortunately. And so I was kind of left out there to wander on my own and ended up having what I describe as a nervous breakdown. Um, I finally now, did was... You, did you have any kind of... I just want to back up a little bit. Did you have any kind of support coming from your family or anything after you were diagnosed? Like... Did you tell them all right away, or did you kind of hide it? No, I told them all right away. I was very honest, and they really didn't know what to think, and they really didn't want to support me or anything. They didn't really want me around. Um, They didn't know what to do. They were scared. They were scared they were going to catch the disease. Yeah, well, I mean, this is this is eighty nine or you know ninety. Yeah, around around there. It was it was such a different time. You know, people. I mean, it sounds really harsh of them, but like people were scared to death to even be around people with HIV. I mean, I can remember when my mother had cancer; her neighbors stopped coming to the house. They were afraid of cancer. Right. You know, people afraid of HIV. Oh my gosh, it was just horrifying. You know, and. I, I don't blame my family for anything. They, I don't know. They, it is what it is, and 
I don't know. I, I guess I'm a stronger person because of it now. But, you know, I had literally lived under a bridge for a while and slept under a bridge and met these wonderful homeless people, this married couple who helped me, you know, I don't even know where they are today, but, you know, they made sure I was safe at night because I was really a lost soul. I had no idea. You know, I really I thought I was going to die. I just really thought I was going to die. Somehow I got Baker acted into a mental hospital and was in there for a little bit. Um, when they discharged me, I was discharged to an aid service organization. They sent a representative from the agency to pick me up from the mental hospital. Now, I can remember for some reason they had to run to the airport or something, and I ended up walking miles and miles to my twin sister's house, and this was right before Christmas time. I know it's just a really scary time, but the same aid service organization ended up offering me housing, and this housing complex, everybody in the complex had AIDS, and most of us had were diagnosed with less than six months to live because I finally I ended up getting care, you know, once, they, well, they diagnosed me as a paranoid schizophrenic. I don't believe that I had paranoid schizophrenia. I believe that I had AIDS-related dementia, but because I wasn't being treated for my AIDS, I mean, it's just so complex, and I really don't even have the answers today. And I guess I really don't need to have any answers. It's just the fact that I made it through it alive. Right. But, yeah, it's pretty scary. The apartment complex was... You know, people were, literally my neighbors would die. You know, an ambulance would come, they'd take the body away, or somebody would go to the hospital and they wouldn't come back. And, you know, I, I called it the Hotel California because you checked in and never checked out. You know, we we all were just waiting to die. That's what it was like. And, you know, it, when the police or an ambulance came, they really didn't want to even touch anybody. You know, I can remember one of my friends had, brought a trick home one night, and he got beat up bad. I mean, I found him all bloody on the floor of his apartment the next day. And when the ambulance came, they wouldn't even touch him to help him down the stairs or anything. I mean, it was just it was just horrific. And, and right. people today don't under, I guess it's hard for them to understand how bad it really was back then. It was really bad. I mean, there was, I can remember the hospital floor, just going to visit friends in the hospital. The nurses would literally slide the food across the floor because they wouldn't want oh, to go yeah. in the rooms. Yeah, it, you know, there would be special areas just for AIDS patients, and nobody wanted to go into those areas. You know, it's, today, it is, thank God, it's very different, you know, and I think that's where the desperation of ACT UP and you know, all of us that kind of gotten involved in some of those things back then. You know, it's so different today than it was then. But somehow the I ended up surviving, I mean, for, by the grace of God, because I was living in the, the AIDS housing, and I guess about six months into living there, they came out with some of the new medications. So I was able to get on those, and my health began, I felt started to feel a little human again. And that's when I decided to go back to college. And I never in my wildest dreams ever believed that I would graduate from college. I thought that I would, I literally still, in the back of my head, there's this little voice that tells me you're going to die. You're never going to achieve anything. You're going to die. You know, and then I got my AA. Then I got my bachelor's. Then I transferred to a university and got my first master's degree, and I just graduated actually a year ago with my second master's degree. So I don't know if you guys believe in God or a higher power or Buddha or some kind of energy, (laughs) but I believe I'm alive today for some reason, some purpose. I don't know what that is, and I guess I don't have to know as long as they just try to do the right thing today. This is probably part of it. I mean, I, I've i been positive for 22 years myself, and people always ask me the same thing. I'm like, oh, you know, I was I assumed I got diagnosed at 20, and I assumed I'd be dead by 25. And yeah. I just kept living, and I don't know why. I mean, I went on meds early as well, but 
we all know that they weren't very great, and yeah, people still died. People, people still died, like, and, you know, it was very common. And I don't know why I'm doing well. It's, it's just and part of it's luck, part of it's taking care of your health and in other ways, and then part of it's meds, and it is what it is, so... Yeah, it, it's you know it's amazing and and I I had so many great people along my life that helped me and I look back and you know some of them aren't with me anymore but you know they're the ones that taught me how to laugh at myself they taught me how to live with this disease and and not feel stigmatized by it to you know know that I'm much more than just this disease that. You know, I can do anything and everything I want. I I had a really good friend named Charlie, and he literally lived with no T-cells for over a year, and he had a port in him, and we used to have to put his medication, and he was just an amazing, amazing man. And I remember him, he told me that when he died, he wanted to be buried naked so everybody would see what they missed. And... (laughs) (laughs) And to make sure that we didn't put too much embalming fluid in him because it turns your skin green, it would match his red hair. I mean, (laughs) his sense of humor, even when he was at death's door, was just amazing. And I will forever love him. He's always in my heart. And as the gay community in general accepted me. I mean, at one time I started going to support groups with gay guys because... That's the only support groups that were available. But the gay guys loved me and supported me and welcomed me and helped me, you know, just amazing, amazing. Well, I was going to mention something when you were talking about, like, the lack of resources and difficulty in getting care. I think um, as gay men, we were lucky in a weird, you know, weird twisted sense that, you know, people rallied really quickly, and we got our resources really quickly, and everything was streamlined, although still it was quite a clusterfuck trying to get help. But, um, you know, things were streamlined pretty quickly. I think you're you're a straight woman in a, in a, in a straight woman's, you know, world, quote-unquote, and yeah. all of a sudden you find out you, you're, you're HIV positive or have AIDS, and people are like, what the hell do I do with you, you know? I remember an agency, a worker, told me, well, if you were pregnant and had children, we could help you. I'm like, what? Why would I even think about getting pregnant, you know? (laughs) But, yeah, seriously, a white middle-class woman or whatever, I was poor at the time, but a white woman with AIDS, you know, no, you're not getting any services, can't help you. I mean, it was, and, and see, that's the scary part because that's what's going on now with the ADAP crisis. People are being told, we can't help you. We have life-saving medications, but I'm sorry, we can't help you. You don't qualify. Or we're going to have to stick you on a waiting list. And see, I know how scary that was for me. I didn't know what to do, who to ask, where to go. And that's the same thing that's going to happen to people right now, or it is happening to people right now. When they walk into an agency and ask for help and they're told, I'm sorry, there's a waiting list. You know, what that does to people's psyche, you know, it frustrates me to no end to watch this happening Um, because I remember last June, June 1st, last year in Florida, we had one person on that waiting list. Now we have over 4,000. And wow. Florida is the largest, right? Yes. Florida has the largest waiting list and the fastest growing waiting list. And we have legislators that have their head up their asses. Excuse me, I don't normally cut curse, but it's true. And, we, you know, I went to the town hall meetings here a couple weeks ago, and even before the meeting, you know, a representative was on the phone with some people, and when he got off, he said, we're talking to deaf ears. You know, even though we're holding these town meetings, it's not going to change what's going on in Tallahassee. And it's right. scary. It's just it's frustrating yeah, I and scary. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that. Well, I think people forget it's like AIDS, you know, HIV and AIDS, it's fatal. Like, if you don't take medication, you die. Like, and that's what's going to start happening with these people. I mean, 
if you're on a waiting list to get medication and you don't have any other resources at all for getting them, like, people are going to start dying. And maybe, you know, unfortunately, sometimes that's what it takes to, you know, open people's eyes and make them listen. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people die quietly and die in isolation and die alone, and it's not talked about, you know. So there's people dying that we don't even know about because the families want to cover it up and hide it. It's the few of us that are able to step out there and and have our voice heard because so many people aren't willing to do that and are scared to death to do it, and I don't blame them. There's still so much stigma out there. Of course. It's frustrating. Yeah, so frustrating. And you guys, I heard you guys talking about missing your meds. Oh, my gosh. All right, you too. Now, (laughs) I am currently resistant to, like, 89% of the medications out there because I missed medication. I... My medications currently cost over $4,000 a month, and those are the basics that keep me alive. Because for a few years, when I was still partying, well, I don't even want to call it partying, but still doing things I shouldn't have been doing, I was missing doses. And they did a phenogenotype test, and I'm resistant to just about everything out there. Wow. And you, you can't, it's a, you know, once you're resistant to one class of drug or one drug in a class, you're resistant to, to all the drugs in that class. So you have to be very, very careful. It's so very important. And, like, the, the, the regimen I'm on right now, I've been on for the past four or five years, and it's working. You know, my T-cells are stable. My viral load's undetectable. But don't put yourself in my shoes. Don't not take your medicine and end up resistant one day, you know, because leave your options open. Were you, like, here and there, or were you skipping, like, weeks or... I would skip days um, because the the drug of choice I was doing would keep me up for three or four days. And, you know, who wanted to eat, take medicine, or do anything like that, you know? Right. Right. So, yeah. But, but you know, I used to fool myself. Oh, my gosh, it's so crazy because, oh, I'm going to drink this protein shake before I start. <laughs> so I can take care of myself. I mean, this is the craziness I would tell myself in my head, you know. Oh, if I drink this protein shake, I'm okay. I'll be able to do, oh, my gosh, just ridiculous, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So so tell me about this support group that you started, um, Sisters Insured. Um, It's very interesting. Was there no support group for you? Tell me what made you create this support support group. About six years ago, I was... um, Oh, gosh, I was still going to school, and I had an assignment to interview a social worker. And um, I knew the particular person I was interviewing, and during the interview we were talking about the lack of support groups for women. I mean, they're just really the lack of support groups in our area in general. Um, So her and I decided to start a support group for women, and we did. And this was, and actually our six-year anniversary is coming up in a couple weeks. So um, we started it, and we had a few women, and before we know it, we had a few more and a few more. Um, and we actually came up with the name Sisters in Spirit. Um, so there's a awesome. core group of, we don't meet on a regular basis anymore. We used to meet once a week. I mean, for literally four years, we met once a week. So now we um, kind of do social gatherings. Um, We're actually going to do a luncheon in a couple weeks, um, but we still do things together. We still keep in touch. We're still a core group of women that support each other. Um, It's just an amazing thing. Oh, I have a message here from the chat room from Janet. She says, hello, she's one of your sisters in spirit. Yes, she is, and she's an amazing (laughs) sister in spirit who I love so very, very much. And... What's so amazing is, you know, when, and I won't, you know, rat on Janet or anything, but when people, when you first meet people and they find out they're positive or they're first dealing with their diagnosis, and just their ability to take medications or to accept the diagnosis and move on with their life, it's just amazing to watch people grow and the things they accomplish. It's 
so cool. It is just so cool. I can't. Yeah, Janice, an amazing woman, and she does a lot of things for our community right now, and she would probably be a great person for you to interview. Definitely. Well, you have to hook us up afterwards. I actually have a caller here on the line, so I'm going to go ahead and bring them on. Area code 813, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hello, this is Janice speaking. Hey, Vicki, my sister, how are you? Hi, honey. Good. Yeah, I just had to call in to support Vicki, but I just wanted Vicki to know that Vicki invited me to a Ryan White Care Council meeting, a membership meeting, (laughs) and now, um, I guess because of her, I am now one of the co-chairpersons of it. So she is an amazing person as far as um, bringing people up. And um, when she met me, I was one of those that was new and low at the bottom. And um, it's just great. And our group that she was one of the founders of, is it's amazing. This group has really emerged from small baby women that were afraid to now activists. So I just wanted to say thank you to Vicki for who she is. Thank you, Janet. I love you. Love you, too. Yeah, and she's right. We're getting ready to do um, to celebrate our sixth anniversary. And um, I was just diagnosed months, so I will always remember when we start because it's my anniversary year. And um, it's, it's good to have this kind of talk radio because um, I have, was one of those that was in the shadows, and Vicky's help has now made me have an I don't care attitude where that I will be like her and say, I don't care, I have HIV, what are you going to do about yourself? And um, if we can get a lot of Vickies out there, maybe we can stop stigma. That would really, it would really be um, an accomplishment. And that's for my heart, Vicky. I love you. Thank yeah, you nice so much. Sweetie. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So, so Vicki, tell us about um, what you're doing now. You're working at the University of South Florida. Tell us about this, this behavioral study that you're involved with. Well, this is an amazing story in and of itself. Um, you know, I graduated last May, and I wasn't really looking for work just yet. I had, you know, just gone to school for like 10 years or something, you know. But I got a phone call from the university telling me they had a job that was perfect for me. So right now what I'm doing is working on a research study funded by the um, NIH, the National Institute of Health, and it's testing the delivery of a behavioral intervention over a video telephone for women who are living with HIV. So what I get to do, I get to go to work, I get to log on to a video telephone and talk to women who are in other counties throughout Florida and deliver this health intervention for them. It's it's like instead of having a group in a room, it's a group over a video telephone. That's awesome. It is just amazing. And we have hopes to expand it to other counties throughout Florida in the coming years if we can get the funding, and I, I, I am almost sure that we will. I have an amazing boss, and just to be a part of this study and to meet, I get to meet so many women who are positive, some of them newly diagnosed, some of them who've been diagnosed for years, but we talk about different things in relation to being positive, and it's just, I'm so blessed to have this job. That's so so cool. Yeah. And, you know, it's like job was handed to me. I mean, really, I don't, like I said, the higher power, God, Buddha, somebody, you know, handed me this job, and I'm just so blessed to be part of it, and I love it. No, that's really cool. Tell me, um, I was going to ask you, tell me what it is like now for you. Are, are you, are you in a relationship? Are you single? Are you dating? How is your... Um, I'm in a relationship. I met a man um, almost seven years ago, and he actually, before we started dating, I used to think he was so cute. I'd see him, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's so cute. What's he doing with that girl? You know, but I would never <laughs> approach him because I, I wasn't dating anybody. I was actually single for, like, six years. I just didn't want to date anybody. 
Um, and I guess he talked to one of his friends about me, and they told him I was positive. So he went out and educated himself and asked me out on a date. And we have been together now for July 6th, will be seven years. Wow. Congratulations. He's he's, he's an amazing man. He's negative. Um, he treats me like a queen. I swear if I say I'm thirsty, the next thing I know I have a glass of water in my hand. Um, <laughs> and what's even more amazing is um, we just bought a house. Oh, congratulations again. Yes, wow. we just... Just this week, we found, we've been looking for a while, but we finally found one. We put it the bid in. They accepted it. We signed the contract. We close next month. So we're very, very excited. That's awesome. That's awesome. So did you not have to, I guess, what made you become public? What made you want to go public with your status? Because, you know, some people will hide and not tell anybody. Some people will just tell their friends. But you, you know, you blog about it, you write about it, you're now, you know, on here talking about it publicly, you do the support group. What made you want to become so public with it? You know, I'm not sure, and I keep, I guess I go back to something C. Everett Coop said, who used to be the Surgeon General many, many years ago. He said something about your mind being very powerful, and if you could change your mind, you could heal yourself. So, for, I don't know, for some reason I knew that keeping the HIV a secret would kill me. And literally I actually watched it happen because I would watch people in support groups that were very, very secret about their status and would lie to their family about doctor's appointments. And it seemed like they carried this huge burden around with them and they seemed to get sicker quicker and many of them died very quickly. This was years ago before all the new meds came out. So... But it, I I don't know, I just, it seemed just easier to be honest about it than to try to carry that burden around that's too much for someone to carry. No one should have to carry a secret like that. You know, there's a saying, you're just as sick as your secrets. You know, if you're able to share your secrets with someone, you know, whether it be the world, which I'm willing to share my secret with the world, or just a few close friends, you know, you have to have somebody in your life that you can talk to about this because it's too much for somebody to to carry by themselves. There's too many questions and, you know, things that need to be answered and just support. I There's, you know, I didn't even talk about this, but, um, you know, when I found out I was positive, the one thing that, that crushed me was not being able to have a baby. At that time, I mean, I was going to die, so having a family was just, like, not even. So, I mean, I would literally burst out crying every time I saw a pregnant woman because I knew that I would never be able to have a family. You know, but now women have a choice whether they want to become pregnant, and they can become pregnant and have healthy babies. And mm-hmm. it's just so amazing, so amazing. <laughs> no, really, We've come so far, open. but we're, we're going backwards in some areas. That's why it's tough. We really need people to, to, to come forward and speak up. And no, I agree. Uh, real quick, I just want to uh, open the phone lines. If you're listening, you can give us a call here at 347-215-9442. we got about 10 minutes left. You can call us here, uh, ask us a question. You can talk to Vicki, share maybe somebody got a juicy, funny story they'd like to call in and tell us. We'll always take those. <laughs> so um, let's see, Vicki, what was the other thing? What was it like for you to be diagnosed? and, and see, Because you, you are not in any kind of what they would call at-risk group. At the time, right? Because you are. Yeah, no, I was actually infected by. Yeah, I was infected by my fiance. Right. Um, So you were at the no risk group. Go ahead. I said you were at the no risk group, so it's kind of, you know, what was that like to be like, you know, back then? I guess it was maybe like a unicorn. Yeah, I. Oh gosh. It was devastating, and it, it at the time I thought I was being punished for something like I deserve this, you know, like I'm dirty, I deserve this disease. I mean, I started to internalize the negative stigma surrounding the disease, 
um, yeah, I was engaged to get married, and I, I didn't know at the time, but my fiancé used to shoot up drugs in New York when he was younger, and that's how he got it. But I was 19 at the time, you know. Right. So, yeah, it, it so took young. me many years to work on the dirty stigma of HIV, the internalizing it, you know, because when, when you mentioned it, somebody would take a step back from you, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, I... I had to learn not to take that personally because it's not about me when somebody takes a step back. It's about them and their lack of that's education. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. that's it. You have to get a thicker skin to be able to deal with some of that because I've even, I mean, I, just last year I went to the dentist and one of the hygienists refused to clean my teeth. You know, and just oh, the wow. whispers you, because I'm honest when I go to the dentist's office and I fill out the paperwork and I say, yes, I'm right. positive. And then you hear the little whispers behind the counter and the people whispering, you know. And it's just, but I know that it's not about me. It's not anything to do with me. It's about them and their lack of education. And so that sometimes it's hard to deal with. Yeah, yeah it is very Because I'm fortunate enough that my sister works at the dentist's office that I go to. So, like, I, I mean, I just, I disclose anyway, but having her there makes it a little easier. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people don't disclose, and I don't have to disclose. I mean, there's right. no law saying that I have to disclose, you know. So, And actually, in today's paper here in town, um, we just had a big article. Where did it go, honey? Front page of the newspaper, and it was about bug chasers. Oh, it's the uh, article title, Secret Lies and AIDS Trading. And it's about this guy here in town that has been going around, literally, they call him a gift giver, and he's gifting his HIV. You know, I heard of bug chasers before, um, but I hadn't actually heard of the gift giver, so I was like a little shocked. <laughs> so actually, I wrote the, the the writer that wrote the article. I wrote her a little email this morning, asking if she would like to follow up this article on the AIDS crisis, on the ADAP crisis. Right. <laughs> you know? Like that would have been a great one to have right underneath it. Yeah, exactly. You know, okay, here we got these people trying to catch HIV because they, you know, one of the reasons is they think they're going to get all these social benefits. You know, and and when the people we have no social benefits for anybody right now. Well, that's sick. You know, people ask me that all the time about bug chasers. It's one of the big uh, discussions that are is on Pause I Am is how do people do it and how do they think like that and um, it's just I have no idea why people think like that. You know, like I, I've known somebody who was HIV positive or was negative and his partner was positive and he wanted to become positive because he wanted to share that, I guess, with his partner and and basically, like, kind of understand and let his partner, like, not be alone and kind of, like, do it together. That's what the article is, suggests, that some people do this to prove their love to their partner. And I'm thinking, right. you got to be, something's got to be a little bit off with you if you want yeah. to catch this disease. It's... Most days I can go without actually really, okay, I don't have to think about it that I'm positive all the time. But there's, you know, like the medication, you got to take the medication every day. There's just certain things that you have to think about. It's like you almost can't make a decision in your life without thinking about the HIV. You know, if you want to travel, you got to think about your meds you got to take with you. I mean, you all, you constantly, it's, uh, you know, like the monkey on your back. Well, this is like I don't know HIV in your back pocket. You got to carry it everywhere with you. You know. Yeah, it's it's something else. But you know, it, it, for me, it's made me a better person, and you know, it really helped me go through my like recovery process of getting clean. It really helped me deal with that. Um, now you, I'm correct. You're in recovery, right? Do you yes. remember hearing that right? Yes, I am. Okay. So is that something that you did to get clean? Did you go to, like, um, uh, NA or something like that to? Yes. I first went to a treatment center, and then I started going to meetings, 12-step meetings. Mm, That's what I did. And they're great. They really show you what, like, a support group is supposed to be about. 
yeah, the support you get from other people who's been there is just amazing. And one of the most amazing things for me, of course, because I'm always open about my HIV status, is nobody stopped hugging me because I told them I was positive. Because that's what people do in the 12-step group I go to is they hug, and everybody hugs. Mm -hmm. But nobody rejected me because of my status. They accept me for who I am, and they just want to help me to to become a better person, to recover and do what I need to do to move on with my life. So it's amazing. They gave me hugs. They they drank the coffee that I made. Yeah, it's, and, and 12-step groups aren't for everyone. You know, there's right. other ways of getting clean and staying clean, but it's a great way if somebody's struggling with, um, you know, substances and stuff. And I actually, tomorrow, will have two years clean from cigarettes. So that oh, is wow. like, I'm super excited. I'm jealous. I'm still trying to quit. <laughs> It was. It took a little bit, but I finally, you know, I was like, okay, here I am trying to save my life by taking these HIV meds every day, and then I'm dragging on this cigarette that's killing me, you know, because as Bob, you get I'm older, one. <laughs> as you get older, you start to have a little more health concerns than, you know, when you're right. younger, you're a little more resilient, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, it's true. It's tough. The thing is we just stopped smoking in the house. So now we yeah. go outside, so it's a little. Oh, it was a lot easier to smoke less when it was the winter time. Now that it's nice out, I don't have an excuse not to go out and smoke a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> when you're ready, you'll be ready and you'll be done. So don't yeah. beat yourself up about it. It'll come one day. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> about it. So what? Um, one thing I did want to say because we're down to the last couple of minutes, I did want to. So you touched on it earlier when you were um, talking about why you continue to share your story and, and how people, basically, I would say my generation, from I've been, I'll be positive now for about, a, for 10 years, a decade, in June. From, I'd say people from my generation and forward who've been diagnosed don't know what it's like to go through the early stages of what, like people like you and the long-term survivors went through with losing friends and going to funerals. And I think that's why it's so important for people who are long-term survivors like Dab and Mark and yourself, you know, because a lot of women don't speak out long-term survivors that I know of. It's very hard. And we need long-term survivors to keep sharing because we need to be reminded of what it was. We need yeah. to thank all the people who walked before us and, and, and you know, set these, these pipes down for us and allowed us to do what we're doing today. We can't forget. And I think Yeah, none, of, none of us would be alive today if it wasn't for them. I mean, seriously, we would not be alive. The efforts that they went through to make sure that new medications were available. I mean, and that's what kills me with this ADAP crisis. So I'm glad that the um, summit's coming up. I won't be able to attend. I have work i got to do, so I'm going to miss everybody. Well, that's a shame. I just wanted to think I was going to ask if you were going. Yeah, no, I can't this year. I I have something I have to do, like on the day in between, you know. I mean, the, the three days is the middle. Yeah, I can't get out of it, so. It happens. Yeah. Well, I love you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. We Thank you for asking you. me. And um, people can contact you. I know you're on Pause I Am under Vicki Lynn. Is that where you want people to contact you at? Yes, yes. Okay, so they can find you there, um, and I'll, I'll put a link to uh, your thing in the site so people can find you who are on there. And um, if you have anything coming up or anything at all, any other guests you want to send us, um, you can definitely send us your friend's info, and we'd love to have her come on. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, and you guys have a wonderful evening. Thanks, Vicki. You too. All right, bye-bye. And remember, folks, you can find more information on Vicki Lynn. You can join the PauseIM community at PauseIM.com and uh, connect with her on there if you'd like to learn more about her. Um, I want to thank you all for tuning in. Um, it was a great show. Uh, next week, we do not have a show scheduled, but there's a possibility that there may be another. There may be a show next Sunday, but right now we don't have one because it's Memorial Day weekend. I have a big soccer tournament, so I may be a little overwhelmed with everything that's going on. So uh, keep your eye out, but we definitely will be back here on June 5th. Uh, we're going to be speaking with um, Maria, uh, if you are on Facebook, you may know her as Maria HIV. Beautiful woman going to come on and share her personal story of living with HIV and what um, it was like for her. So uh, join us on June 5th for that. And um, we have other exciting guests lined up for the month of June. 
So uh, keep coming back here and look for us. You can follow us on Twitter at pauseim.com. Um, and you can find more information on my co-host, Jack McEnroth, at jackmackenroth.com. And I hope you all have a great night, and I will see you in oh, two weeks. Thank you. What's right in this going on out here? We got changes to make. It's time to wake up for humanity's sake. Break the silence today before it's too late. AIDS is affecting us, disrespecting us. I'ma go get tested. It's a simple maneuver. It's not about the past. It's about my future. I'm not trying to miss it. I won't be a statistic, so I protect myself whenever I'm intimate. At this moment, I decided to have a plan. It's time to take a stand, because AIDS, I'm greater than. This is Senior Chaos, and this was my deciding moment. Tell us yours at greaterthan.org. Thank you for joining us. And remember, you can see more information on POSIM Radio at POSIM.com. That's www.POSIAM.com. Thank you and have a great night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.